This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio. While the ultimate impact of COVID-19 won't be known for years, the apparel industry has already begun to assess the damage as businesses across the value chain chart a course through the crisis. In a report released in May 2020, consulting firm McKinsey & Company revealed the findings of an industry-wide survey, which identifies sourcing executives' key priorities. They include securing inventory and managing the ramp down and ramp up of supply chains, optimizing cash flow along the supply chain and ensuring the optimal trade-off between cash position, profit impact, and supplier stability, proactively managing financial risk across the entire supply chain with an approach tailored to suppliers, and adjusting internal costs, including open commitments and operating expenses of the sourcing function. I am Kalitha Crawford, publisher of Sourcing Journal, and joining me today is McKinsey partner Steve Hoffman to shed more light on the survey results and discuss how and if the industry can reach these goals. Steve, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So let's start with the non-payment problem that occurred as the COVID-19 outbreak began. By shortchanging factory partners, how do brands and retailers envision moving forward, especially, you know, from a, a practical standpoint, some of these production facilities may not even survive as a result. So what does that mean for sourcing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's a great question. And just to sort of reiterate what the findings were, about um, about 20% or a fifth of um, the folks of the survey said that they w- were paying for 75% of their orders as agreed. So that would imply the, the vast majority are paying for less than 75% of what they were originally going to buy as agreed. And I think um, part of this, I would say, is there's a bit of a mindset around a shared pain model, which is uh, as uh, uh, retailers, particularly uh, apparel retailers, are forecasting somewhere around a down 30% sales for this year or more, as well as a, uh, maybe a, a slow recovery for next year. I mean, th- there's just sort of this shared pain mindset. And I think very few are looking beyond the concerns of this year to what the, what the potential landmines that could be next year. So I think on all of their minds is sort of the reopening this year, the potential resurgence, the cash, as you as you mentioned. And so unfortunately, I think as, as you implied, I mean, this is going to lead to sort of a great shakeup in a lot of the vendor community. And I, I think the, I mean, the, the probably the private reality, if you ask some of, uh, of the particular sourcing 
leaders directly is that that's it's just sort of going to be an, a, a, an impact of what happens, and they're going to be the they're going to expect the industry sort of to shift along um, with sort of that um, uh, that that trend. And so, as you mentioned, that it, it, I think there's very few people that would believe that this will not result in a um, large shift of production facilities. Um, I think that there is. Uh, a handful of people that that probably actually hope for some government intervention from uh, some of the Southeast Asian countries in particular, which I think you're seeing some of. And so it, it's kind of like, as I mentioned, sort of the shared pain model, which is I'm going to sort of push the pain a little bit upstream and hope that someone helps because I, I frankly don't have the cash and, and the stability myself to, to, to help with this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's interesting. And I think it's probably, you know, kind of a continuation of how the relationships have been playing out between brands and retailers and their suppliers. So maybe not a surprise that this has been kind of the the model for how some of the companies are dealing with it um, in the short term. Uh, I would say that maybe short-term thinking is one of the reasons why things like speed and flexibility, which the industry has been talking a lot about over the last few years, really haven't gotten as much traction as we need to. Do you think that the um, that the crisis, the current crisis, is going to be a catalyst now to put some of the in, uh, in initiatives that we have wanted to have in place, finally putting them in place and making a change? Um, or do you think the fact that, again, you know, people are firefighting right now, they're in the middle of a crisis, are they in a position to, you know, look long term like that? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a bit of a bifurcating view. I, I, and I think it's similar to what we've seen last crisis. I think that there are going to be um, players that, that, frankly, take advantage of the crisis, if you will. And they do um, sort of leapfrog others in the industry by getting to those aspirations around speed and flexibility. I think that there there is going to be a, most of the industry uh, that will be sort of stuck firefighting and be in a, in a cash crunch for most of the rest of the year. And I think then emerge rather weakened uh, starting next year. And I think with sales starting to come back, I think they'll they'll be um, sort of disadvantaged. And I think this is exactly what we saw last crisis: is that the folks that were uh, immediate and bold in, in things like divestitures and, and things like that had the, the the strength to sort of accelerate when uh, it was clear that the acceleration. I think we talk a lot about the new normal, and I think the new normal is really what's going to be a key factor here, because if the new normal certain things play out, such as a reduced assortment, I mean you're seeing this across all different forms of consumer products as well as apparel, a more limited assortment that will help accelerate speed and flexibility because it'll just e the complexity of doing that will just be a lot easier. So I think th I think there's a couple factors that that we would wait to see if they could be enablers, but by and large I think you're going to see the 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 retailers or apparel wholesalers who were more who are currently more advantaged, probably more advantaged coming into the crisis that will be able to sort of double or triple down on those speed and flexibility aspirations. Uh, um, and I think the, I would say the vast majority of the industry will, will sort of be left a little bit behind and maybe doing a handful or, or more limited uh, kind of speed and flexibility push. Um, but, but I think we'll be far outpaced by um, the, the, the folks that are more advantaged at the moment. I like the term the immediate and bold. And, you know, that really brings to mind 
another thing that we've been talking a lot about in the industry is culture and the companies that have a certain culture being better positioned than others. And so as we look to a potential recovery, um, how do you think that the industry is going to fare given that by and large, the makeup of the C-suite is the same? So, you know, how are we going to move forward if we don't have enough of these, you know, these leaders who are willing to be immediate and bold, as you say? Yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I don't think that there's going to be a, a dramatic change because I, I think in some ways, as you sort of pointed out, there's a lot of of the, the C-suite that doesn't necessarily know what good looks like or doesn't know exactly what a demand-driven or more flexible speed looks like. So it's hard for them to sort of understand that. And I think that there, uh, once again, there are sort of the, the leaders and, and the apparel leaders have largely been the same and, and leaders from a, a, a total return to shareholders or total uh, profit generation have largely been the same over the years. And I think those are the same that I think are going to have these uh, kind of bold, this this is the right thing to do mindset from, from the C-suite all the way down the sourcing team. And I think they are going to um, kind of uh, uh, take a big step in um, versus others might take a smaller step in. And I, so I think you, you are definitely going to see a, a, a relative um, hesitancy by some. And a lot of it comes down to the amount of capital that they had to deploy, the level of uncertainty they have with their overall business, the uh, amount of um, margin uh, dilution that they're seeing in their uh, e-commerce growth. I think that's really, that's, I would say, distracting that sort of firefighting or that sort of, um, that, 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 those sort of financial stuff, I think is really distracting a lot from doing what they know they want to do. And so I, I think you'll see uh, uh, limited agenda items on a C-suite that would be around speed and flexibility for, for most of the industry. So I think in, in total, um, I, I think that you will not see this ubiquitous speed and flexibility over the next five years. I think you'll see uh, several uh, several accelerate. I think you'll see probably most of the industry do a, a kind of a little bit of a step forward. But I think a lot of that will be related to some of what the new normal turns out to be. And for those that are looking to and able to take a big step forward, as you say, um, how much of, how many of those do you anticipate maybe adopting processes like on-demand production? Because, you know, we, again, have been talking about that for a while and we've seen a little bit of growth in the industry. And it seems like the type of thing that would enable the flexibility and speed that we need. Um, But how long before the industry is really embracing on-demand and then seeing the rewards from it? Yeah, I mean, I I think things like nearshoring, on-demand, I mean, sustainability, it always feels like it, it, 75% of people say this is going to be the year. It, it, it's always the same in our surveys. 75% of people say this is the year that this is going to become big. It's, it's always one to two years away. Um, I think that this, to me, that this remains sort of this, it, it feels like in your heart it should be here, but it's just not quite there. And I think if you actually break it down into uh, a lot of what, what is the root cause of that, uh, a bunch of it is actually just, setting up the vendor community that can support uh, that type of, of, uh, of, of a process or that type of, a, of a, a information or product flow. There, there's the same thing in, in the vendor community. There, I mean, there, there's huge um, dispersion of the, of the quality of vendors at the top, and then there's sort of everybody else. And, and I think that that's also what drives a lot of this is that I think those vendors that are highly um, I don't know, desirable 
are going to be able to pick and choose who their customers want. They're going to have a long memory in terms of who was there for them. And so I think you're going to see that those vendors are going to enable uh, their, their, client, their clients or customers to start doing this more uh, on demand, or, or, or which I think will be related to a nearshoring model or really related to more, a, more, a more digitized model. I think, once again, you'll see the, the, the haves versus the have-nots. And I think you, you'll see a greater bifurcation in the industry, similar to what we've seen in past crises. And I think then the folks on the more disenfranchised, you're going to see a large consolidation of, of both the uh, retailers as well as the, um, uh, as well as the vendor community. And I think hopefully through that consolidation, they will then be in a better uh, kind of balance sheet position to then be able to sort of accelerate forward and try to catch up. Mm-hmm. And so what I hear you saying uh, when you talk about setting up the vendor community to be able to support on-demand or nearshoring or some of these things that we need is I hear partnership, you know, and partnership is, again, you know, something we've talked a lot about. Uh, depending on who you talk to, though, it's not something you actually see in practice enough. Um, and one of, the, one of the areas that we definitely hear feedback on the vendor side about is sustainability. You know, the brands and retailers are really kind of pushing for more sustainable processes. And that's great. It's not that the vendors aren't willing to do that, but they are saying that they're not seeing the support for sustainability that would enable them to, you know, make the changes they need in their factories and in their facilities. So now, you know, what do you think that COVID will have as an impact on sustainability in in particular, given that a lot of companies have stated goals and timelines for 2025 and 2030 and, you know, years to come. Yeah, I honestly wish I had a a more positive view here because I think it's so needed. Um, I I do think that the sustainability is going to continue to be this thing around everyone's asking for it, but no one's willing to pay for it. Uh, And I think that's going to be this this problem for the moment because of the the current economic um, impact to to most of the uh, apparel centric industry as as, as being non essential, um, in a way you sort of put sustainability goals and you sort of put what the cost of them is. It could be water, it could be recycled uh, fabric, it could be a, a, any of the other ones that sort of they're putting priorities against, and it just sort of gets put against other areas that, that, that they need to spend money on that I guess maybe the shareholders and others can see more direct benefit from. I think the sustainability thing is until it starts to really impact the bottom line in a negative way that you're not being sustainable, I think there, there is some sort of um, slow um, groundswell around that because of the expectation from a lot of the newer generation for transparency to where things are made, transparency to what types of chemicals are used either in my soap or on my skin. I think as that becomes more, once again, ubiquitous, I think that there will be a a, a negative cost of being not sustainable, which will then create more of an economic, uh, like almost objectivity of being sustainable. I think until that starts to really materialize, as we've seen it done in more in food and other consumer products, I think that's going to be the real thing that's going to make this go from a, a um, kind of a small uh, esoteric effort that, that, that some are doing to a much more industry shift. And I mean, I, I really personally hope in my heart that that happens soon because of just, I mean, you've seen other, other reports that we've published around just the total, whether it's carbon impact of the industry or uh, things like that. It, it is really needed. 
um, to, to make this industry more sustainable. But the interesting thing is I, I do a lot of the work that we do in terms of investments into alternate fibers. And all of that sort of work or all of that investment uh, conversation we've had from, from whether it's private equity investors or others has really grounded to a halt. And I think it's because a lot of the sustainability teams are actually they perhaps furloughed right now because they're kind of they're, they're not part of the core business, if you will. It's always this nice to have this investment side of the business. Um, and so that's, I would say, um, slowing down the overall um, kind of momentum also. Yeah, I think you're right. This idea that until there's a negative cost or the threat of a negative cost, uh, you know, companies are are slow to move. And we can see that even with some of the social justice things that are happening right now, some of the changes that are being made very quickly in corporate America, um, because they are either having a backlash or afraid of a backlash. So um, hopefully it doesn't come to that with sustainability, but that very well could be the case. Um, so you have mentioned a little bit throughout our conversation um, who you, how you think the winners and the losers will be identified over time. Um, but are there some other points that you want to make about as the contraction continues related to COVID-19, maybe what companies can be doing to end up on the winner side and not the loser side? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it is the, the, the learnings from the past crisis couldn't be more clear. And it, it is it is right now it, you need to gr- like really pull back boldly and immediately kind of uh, wait to see sort of that opening and then invest faster and harder than you did before. And I think that it, it is very clear the learnings from last time It is the, 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 the companies that sort of divested and the companies that, 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 that um, did that faster and bolder and canceled sort of capital projects, moved to more of a zero-based mindset, uh, sort of aggressively managed cash, aggressively did all that stuff immediately. It's sort of like the countries that you're seeing on how fast that they reacted to the, the to the COVID crisis. The, the ones that moved the fastest and started testing immediately versus waited to see, you, you saw a much more limited impact. And I think that same learning uh, can be applied here. And then once I think a lot of these new normals are more clear, because this is like this is like no other crisis. And, and I think the, the, the new normals around whether it's e-commerce, uh, uh, if, if this new normal around kind of buy now, wear now in apparel, if that becomes the norm, if, if um, the uh, expectation for customers around a, a, an assortment uh, breadth, is that becomes as some of those become the new normal and become part of the uh, 2021 and 2022 plans. Once those become clear, the people that really lean into those the fastest and the hardest, um, I think, are going to be the winners. Um, and I think also, I think what we're seeing, which is more representative now than it was before, is this idea of partnerships, is this idea of that, that we can't do it ourselves. We should use this crisis as a way to form creative partnerships. It could be laterally. It could be vertically. It could be all, all of those things, especially ones that would be a competitive advantage. I mean, there's a lot of innovation when it comes to fabric technology. Uh, I mean, you're even seeing innovation when it comes to antimicrobials and fabrics based on the coronavirus. Um, so I think people that, that view this as a way to form proprietary technology uh, or, or things like that with partners that you can then monetize, anything where you can lean in harder and faster than everyone else so that you can accelerate faster once again out of the crisis, that's, that, that's going to be the top. Okay, so what I'm hearing is as much as this really is a crisis, obviously, for some companies, they'll be able to find the opportunities and come out stronger. Yeah, the best way to put it might be that 
the boldness and how um, it's more perhaps in uh, intuition, then you need all of the facts in order to make a decision. So kind of almost like if 80% of, of, of your your team agrees on something or if 80% of the information points to something you should be doing, how, how you really use then the intuition that you have as an executive to sort of lean into it, even if it might not be the perfect solution. I think that's more what you're going to see as, the, as success. So I think just to put a fine point on what does bold mean. Bold means to not wait for the information to be perfect, but the information to be indicative so that you know how to act and once again, lean into it faster than everyone else would. Great. Well, thank you, Steve. Um, to hear more from our podcast series with McKinsey, you can visit sourcingjournal.com and click the podcast link. And the report that we have been referring to is the Time for Change. It's uh, McKinsey's report that came out in May based on a survey of supply chain leaders. Thank you. Thank you.